Morning, everyone. Um, nice to get a chance to look at everyone up here. Uh, Emma and I were interviewed for a couple of minutes last week, but it was all a bit of a blur, so it's nice to just have a little bit longer uh, up here this week. Uh, we are continuing our series looking at John the Baptist. We're in the third of, a, I think, a four-week series looking at John the Baptist and his testimony, his witness, his pointing to the Lord Jesus. Uh, I think it's been a great way for us to start this year at church as we uh, think about what John saw as he looked at the Lord Jesus. And uh, this week we are coming to uh, John's Gospel and seeing what John's Gospel has to say about uh, John the Baptist. Uh, so our Bible reading today is found on page 1063 in your pew Bibles. And Alan Douglas is going to come and read for us. Thanks, Alan. Now, this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely. I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent to question him said, why then do you baptize if you're not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I am baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this, this is God's chosen one. Well, let's come before the Lord and ask for the help of the Holy Spirit as we come to his word today. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the one who walks alongside us. We thank you for the Lord Jesus. And we pray now as we come to look at this uh, testimony of John the Baptist that we would see the Lord Jesus more clearly uh, through the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. On the night that the Lord Jesus was betrayed, he prayed. 
He prayed, uh, firstly, for his disciples, the 11 people sitting around him in that upper room, who he would shortly send out to be his witnesses, to carry the message of his life, his death, and his resurrection into the world, so that we could believe in Christ. But Jesus didn't just pray for those 11 disciples. He also prayed for all the people who would believe in him through their message. On the night that the Lord Jesus was betrayed, he prayed for us. And so if you're able to, uh, please lift up your Bibles and turn to page 1085 and John chapter 17. So 1085 and verse 24. The Lord Jesus prayed, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. On the night that the Lord Jesus was betrayed, he prayed for us that we would see his glory. This, I think it's fair to say, is what the Lord wants most of all for us. This is why he's going to go to the cross and die. So I think we can say this is why we were made. This is the goal of our salvation, to be with Christ and to see his glory. Now, if you're not a Christian here this morning, that probably all sounds like gobbledygook. Why would it be good to see somebody's glory? But if we're Christians, I think we're people who are learning, aren't we, that everything the Lord Jesus wants for us is good. This is the best thing for us to see his glory. And so if we are Christians, this is surely where all of our hopes for joy and for satisfaction are resting. This is what our life is orbiting around. On the night that the Lord Jesus was betrayed, he prayed for us that we would see his glory. Well, some of you might be thinking, but hang on, hang on, hang on a second. We're not with the Lord Jesus yet. So surely we can't see his glory. We're not meant to be doing that yet. Life here and now is all about work and family and church, and God matters in all of that, of course. But this idea of just looking at the Lord's glory, that's not for now. It's not time for that yet. Well, bring that thought back to the beginning of John's Gospel and our uh, scripture reading for this morning uh, in John chapter 1. And this testimony of John the Baptist. Uh, That's on page 1063, if you've lost your place. So today, just for clarity, we are looking at John the Evangelist's account of John the Baptist. So there's two Johns, John the Gospel writer, the Evangelist. He's writing and telling us about John the Baptist. And we need to see, first of all, as we look at this, that this is John's testimony. Verse 19. When the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was... You'll know the idea of Christians giving their testimony. It's a really good thing to do. But properly speaking, I don't think there's anyone here who can actually give their testimony. Because just flick over the page to the end of our uh, reading this morning, verse 34. John the Baptist says, I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. In the Bible, testimony just like in kind of law courts traditionally, always involves being an eyewitness. You have to have actually clapped eyes 
on what you're testifying to. You actually have to have seen what you're going to be uh, declaring. And John has seen. He's seen the Lord's glory in a way that I don't think any of us here have had the privilege of seeing. He actually physically clapped eyes on Jesus, and that is what he testifies to this morning. And John's gospel is, is a collection of this eyewitness testimony, which is brilliant because we need it if we're going to understand what was so great about the Lord Jesus. And John the Baptist, if you like, is the first person that John the Baptist, that John the Evangelist calls into the witness box. He's the kind of the model witness. He's going to uh, set the agenda for the, all the other witnesses in John's gospel. So he's very important. And today, this morning, it's almost like John the Baptist has... Uh, taken his stand in the witness box, he's, he's sworn his oath, and now he is giving his testimony. This is what I saw. So let's listen, shall we, this morning to this testimony. And I think we'll find that there's actually more to it than maybe meets the eye. Now, John's testimony divides into two very clear halves, and it takes place across two days. And the first day is verses 19 to 28. Uh, Jesus seems to be absent uh, on this day, and John is testifying to who John himself is. So let's have a look at day one then. Verse 19. Now this was John's testimony when the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Christ. And literally, you can see, I think you've got a footnote there, that just means the anointed one, this promised king um, who was going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So he's not the Christ, and then John says he's not Elijah. I think he literally, he means there, I'm not literally the same Elijah who uh, ascended to heaven in a chariot and whose coming was pro promised in the Old Testament. I'm not him either, and for clarity, I'm not the prophet. Uh, Moses, had, Moses had talked about a prophet gonna, uh, who was going to rise up after him, and people were looking for this prophet too. And each time, John's answers get more and more curt. Do you see that? Verse 20, I am not the Christ. Verse 21, I am not. No. Who are you then? I'm the voice in the wilderness crying, prepare the way for the Lord. We saw that last week. So what then should the next question be? If you're interviewing John, interrogating him, trying to understand his testimony. What's your next question going to be if you've been listening to the witness? Who is this person that you're preparing for? Tell us about him. But that's not what happens. Instead, people start grilling him about why he's baptizing. And John's answer is very important. It's over the page, verse 26. I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. I think John's patience with this line of questioning has run out. He's, he's putting it in really bold terms now. He's saying, I'm not the main event. There's one coming after me who is greater than I. I'm just the supporting act. And in fact, the main act, the main event, he's on stage already. Among you stands one you do not know. I think John's not necessarily saying that Jesus is in the crowd that day, because the next day it seems like Jesus turns up. 
I think John is saying that Jesus has been born in our world. He's, he's, he's with us. The Word has become flesh. But they've not seen him. They're in danger of missing the main act. And so John says, stop looking at me. It's quite, taken quite a while for this to dawn on me as I've been looking at this passage, but I don't think these questions are really all good ones. I kind of tended to think, okay, John the Baptist is here given by God to point the way to Jesus, and it's kind of like a treasure hunt, so you need to go to the guy who's got the next clue, and he'll help you. And that's what I thought these guys were doing, but John seems to be saying they're lingering too long on him. John sees himself, if you like, as a giant arrow pointing that way, and everyone's still looking this way. And he's saying, stop looking at me. You need to look where I'm pointing. So day one of John's testimony, don't look at me. It's mournful, isn't it? Among you stands one you do not know. Amid all of this media scrum and activity around John, there's an emptiness. The witness is shouting loudly. But no one's really listening to him. They're sort of too tied up in, in him without listening to him. It's, it's hugely ironic. Now, I'm going to try and apply this quite briefly because we need to move on. Um, I don't think there's much danger of many of us being overly preoccupied with John the Baptist uh, today. If you're a kind of a John the Baptist disciple, come and see me afterwards and we can, uh, we can have a chat. But John, I think, does stand in here for other witnesses to Jesus. And principally, there's two kinds of witnesses to, to the Lord Jesus. We've got creation, which testifies to God, and I believe to the Word of God as well, uh, the, you know, the eternal Word of God. And we've also got special revelation uh, the, that's now written down for us in the Bible. So general revelation through God's world and special revelation through God's Word. And both of these witnesses are shouting loudly, there is a God, look at him. They're big arrows pointing to God. And yet, I think it's very easy, isn't it, for us to be almost preoccupied with looking at the arrows and not looking at where they're pointing. We all enjoy things in, in the world. Uh, God's given us so many good gifts to enjoy. Um, surfing or bird watching, I'm probably more on the bird watching end. Uh, music or fashion, I'm probably more on the music end. Uh, you might be able to tell. Uh, coffee or chocolate, I'll take both. Um, all those things are good things. And they're ways of showing us something of the glory of the world God's put us in and the glory of us as human beings who are able to see and enjoy that world. But a time will come if we're still looking at those things and not looking at what they're pointing at, the glory of God. We're going to look a bit silly. We're going to be like a person looking at an arrow and not seeing where it's pointing. And the same can be true, actually, about the Bible and about church. These are the best witnesses to the Lord Jesus. But there is a danger sometimes that we can almost get preoccupied with enjoying Bible study, enjoying being at church, enjoying those activities, and actually not seeing what they're pointing at. John says, don't look at me. Okay, so that's day one. And that brings us then to day two, because John isn't just sort of negative. No, no, no. He's actually got something positive to say when the Lord Jesus turns up. Verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look! 
So this second half of John's testimony, John says, don't look at me, look at him. Now, this is not just a throwaway phrase, look. I want us to stop and pause and think about this for quite a while, look. I actually think this phrase, look, is really the application of John's greatest sermon. And I say that because of verse 30 and verse 31. This is the one, John says, I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. John's been talking all about this guy, and now he's here, and he says, look. Verse 31, I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. I came, John says, so that you could see him. So look. That is the big message John wants us to take away today. Look at the Lord Jesus. Feast our eyes on him. Enjoy seeing this cinematic experience of the Lord Jesus himself among us. Take a long, hard look at the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, how can we do that? How can we see Jesus? Because we've said, haven't we, John saw Jesus literally, physically. He clapped eyes on him. And none of us here today can quite do that. So how will we do that? Well, I think there's a clue. And I don't know if you notice something odd in verse 31. Just have a look down again at verse 31. John says, I myself did not know him. Isn't that weird? John says, I... I was like you. He's just said to the crowd, among you stands one you do not know. And now John says, I didn't know him either, actually. Now, there is a sense, I think, in which John did know Jesus. He knew that the Lord was the Messiah. But the full understanding, the full richness, the full glory, if you like, John didn't know. He needed something to show it to him. So how did John, how did John uh, learn who Jesus really was? Jesus' full glory. Verse 32 and 33. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. So John is, is looking back to what he saw after he baptized Jesus. Now, this has already happened. John's kind of looking back to this event. So this isn't the day that John baptized Jesus, I don't think. I think this happened before. And John is saying, in some ways, I saw the same thing as everyone else that day. Maybe a dove coming down from the sky, not exactly sure. But whatever it was, he saw the same thing, Jesus coming up out of the water. But on another level, John is on the inside track. He's actually been given a deeper insight into what those things mean. I would not have known him, verse 33, except the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit coming down is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. John's been given a sort of spiritual understanding so that he can understand the true glory of what he sees with his, spiritual eye, with his physical eyes. And who is it that's showing him this? 
the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's descending like a dove, spotlighting the Lord Jesus, showing that the Lord Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit, able to pour out the Spirit to all that he wants to. So I think in in lots of ways, the most important witness in this passage is not John, actually. The most important witness is the Holy Spirit. He's the one who's really testifying to the full glory of Jesus. And that's really good news, because the Holy Spirit is still active. John's dead and buried. Jesus is ascended into heaven. But we've still got the Holy Spirit. And he is still working to bear witness to the Lord Jesus. As we read John's testimony, we're not just reading it with our physical eyes and reading it with our physical brains. The Holy Spirit is using that testimony to spotlight the Lord Jesus. He's showing us something of the full glory of the Lord. On the night that the Lord Jesus was betrayed, he prayed for us that we would see his glory. And brothers and sisters, it is possible. We can see it even now even this morning, because the Holy Spirit is spotlighting the Lord Jesus through his word. So John, if you like, still has his finger outstretched. He's still pointing to the Lord Jesus. In the power of the Holy Spirit, he says to us this morning, look! Come and see the glory Come and see this almost inexpressible mystery, this light that's almost too bright for our eyes, but but shines somehow through these pages. Come and look at the glory of the Lord. Let me show you a picture. I put the PowerPoint team to sleep. That's good. Uh, There we go. Um, I don't know if you remember uh, what this event was. Uh, It's Donald Trump, obviously, and the First Lady. Uh, There was an eclipse going over the United States a few weeks ago, and the number one rule if you're experiencing an eclipse is, don't look at the sun, okay? (laughs) And of course, Donald Trump did look at the sun. Um, You can make up that what you want. Um, I want to try and draw a spiritual application from that. I think um, there's kind of three groups in the eclipse, and they can represent three ways of, of experiencing the glory of the Lord. The first group in Eclipse actually misses the Eclipse entirely because they're so interested in the hot dogs and the people watching the Eclipse, they're maybe looking at Donald Trump looking at an Eclipse, that they don't look at the Eclipse itself. And those are the people John says in, our, in the first part of his testimony, stop looking at me. Okay, they're the first people. But then there's lots of people, lots of Christians, I think, who are like the first lady here, who are keeping their sunglasses on because they're afraid to look at the brightness of the sun. They're worried they're going to be damaged if they really take their glasses off and have a look. And then there's John the Baptist. There's the nutcases throughout the ages who have always taken their glasses off and wanted to look directly at the brightness and beauty of the Lord. John is encouraging all of us today to look. Take our glasses off. Ignore all the experts around us who say that too much looking at God will harm our health. Let's trust that actually the Lord Jesus knows what's good for us. Let's know that when he prayed that 
that's what he wanted us to be able to do, to see his glory. He meant it. That it was worth him going to the cross so that we could do that. To look at the glory of the Lord. I don't have time this morning uh, to uh, go into that in as much detail as I want to. Maybe you can think about that a little bit more for yourselves. What would it look like for you to look at the glory of the Lord? What stops us from doing that? Uh, I just want to make a brief note about preaching before I move on. Thanks. We'll take, the, we'll take Donald uh, down now. Um, I just want to apply this briefly, actually, to myself as a preacher. If John's testimony is anything to go by, he was a great preacher, wasn't he? And this is his greatest sermon. Then then my best sermons will be those that help you to look at the glory of Christ. I wonder, actually, if John was preaching today, maybe he'd get a bit of stick for not being practical enough in his application. You know, his main thing is, look! Maybe that doesn't seem like it would help you on a Monday morning. But it seems to be the most important thing we can do. And that's what I'd love my preaching to help you to do. I'd love to be able to help you to look at Christ. I really want to improve in my preaching. Uh, and um, I'm sure uh, this, after this morning there'll be um, the usual kind of dissection of the sermon, uh, and that's okay. And please do come and give me feedback, um, if you've got any, for how I can help preach to all of us better. Um, I'm really up for constructive feedback, because I'd, I'd love to learn. But I, pray that, I hope that you'll not just do that for me. I hope that you'll also be willing to pray for me as I start preaching here. Would you pray that you'll help me to help you? Would you pray that the Holy Spirit will help me to help you to look at Christ? I'm trying to do that, but I've got a long way to go. So it'd be great if you could pray that for me. And I think the other preachers would want that too. There's a few comings and goings on the preaching uh, rotor here at Bloomfield. But pray that whoever is preaching, we don't just see the preacher, but Christ. Don't look at me. Look at him. Well, we have just a few minutes left, and I can't leave this passage without trying to give even just a flavour, just a glimpse of some of the glory that John saw. So will you look with me just for these final few minutes? Try and hold your attention for just a few minutes longer, and let's look along John's outstretched finger. And if we do that, what will we see? Two things. Two things, I think. Verse 29, first of all, we will first of all see the Lamb. John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John's pointing back here to the Passover Lamb. In the Exodus, as uh, the threat of the uh, death of all of the firstborn of every family approached, Each household needed to slaughter a lamb. And it was very important that this lamb was utterly without blemish, spotless, a a, a perfect lamb. And having slaughtered it, each family then dipped a a bunch of hyssop uh, in the blood of the lamb, and they painted it on the doorframe of their house. And that, I think, purified the house. It cleansed it from sin. And then the family inside the house, they all ate of this holy lamb. And in doing so, they became holy too. They shared in the holiness of this lamb. And John says, Christ is that lamb. He doesn't just take away the sin of Israel, but of the whole world. 
Christ is utterly spotless, utterly pure, morally perfect, undefiled. And because he is that, he is able to bear on his shoulders the sin of all the world. He is strong enough and pure enough to take all our sin. Some of us here, I think, will struggle to believe that. We'll have things in our past that we struggle to think about, let alone pass them on to the Lord Jesus. But he is strong enough, he is pure enough to bear all our sin. He's that holy. He's that pure. Behold the Lamb of God. And then secondly, as we look along John's finger, we'll also see the dove. Verse 33. The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Jesus is not just somebody who will bear our old life away. He's also somebody who is fit to give us a new life. The Holy Spirit of God wants to come and stay on the Lord Jesus Christ. So much so that the Lord Jesus is actually able, after he ascends into heaven, to pour out the Spirit on whoever he wants. He baptizes us in the Holy Spirit. He gives us the Spirit himself. And so he not only takes our old life away, he gives us a new life with God. A life with God that revolves around seeing the glory of Christ. So John says, feast your eyes on the glory of this lamb, of this spirit-filled anointed one. John Stott says, these are the two great gifts of Jesus Christ our Savior. Jesus takes away sin and he baptizes with the Holy Spirit. These are the two great blessings God wants to give us. But I want us to see, just this morning as we close, that all this glory is found in one amazing person, the God-man, the Lamb of God, the man who bears the Holy Spirit. And I wonder, can you see how, in fact, all of the triune God's glory is wrapped up in this one person? The Spirit of God loves to come and rest on this lamb who comes from God to bear our sin. It's not like Jesus removes the glory and then the Spirit's wanting to come in. What the Spirit loves is the glory of this lamb who goes to die for us. This is the glory of God. The lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Let's pray. Our Father God, we praise you this morning for this glorious Son of yours who you anointed with the Holy Spirit. As we look at him, we see your glory, the one who anointed him. We see his glory as he willingly was anointed for us. We see the Spirit's glory, who is his anointing. Father, thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for this lamb who came to take away our sin. And thank you that you've made it possible through that outpoured spirit for us to see his glory even now, to delight in something of the riches of what awaits us 
when we are with Christ in eternity. Father, thank you for this gift of being able to see something of the beauty of your Son, who you loved from all eternity. And so we praise you in Jesus' name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. And so we pray. Our gracious God, as we bring to you our tithes and offerings of money, we thank you for the Holy Spirit who is still among us. And so we would also bring our intercessions for the needs of others in our prayers, pointing them to the Lamb of God. Heavenly Father, we bring to you the needs of this world in all its complexity and need. North Korea with its latest missile launch over Japan and the response of the United States and China and Russia and the rest of this world to the provocative event. We pray for Myanmar ethnic cleansing and for their desperate situation of the Rohingya people fleeing to Bangladesh. For nations both in Asia and the Caribbean and North America coming to terms with hurricane devastation and reconstruction. We bless you, Heavenly Father, that the attempted atrocity in London's tube was not fully successful. And pray now for all working in counterintelligence and for governments seeking to contain terrorism. We bring before you, O oh God, the families of those killed in recent car accidents. And for people known personally to us who are currently experiencing bereavement, trauma, sickness, or stress. Family members, neighbors, colleagues, and friends. And in the quietness, we name them before the Lord and ask that by the power of the Spirit, there may be opportunity for us and other believers to point them to the Lamb of God. Our Heavenly Father, for these and all our prayers we offer in the name of Jesus and for his glory. <clears throat> 